Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's talk from Pastor Drake Nelson. What's a variant? That's a very important question. What's a variant? A variant is where two manuscripts disagree. So what's a manuscript? I'm glad you asked. A manuscript is a copy of the anything, actually, but specifically of the Bible. And so let me ask you something. If Do we have any original works from our authors, meaning that we have what they wrote in their own ink? Do we have any of that? No, very good question, very good answer. No, we don't. What do we have instead? Well, we have copies that people made through the years of what they wrote. And so you would ask the question then, well, how many copies do we have and what is a manuscript? Well, um, a manuscript would have been written on something like papyrus, okay? And I actually ordered this so that I could give this talk, but this is what papyrus looks like right here. It's about the consistency of a garbage bag, okay? And, by the way, a lot of people thought that in those times they wrote on scrolls. Have you ever heard that, thought that, that they would write on scrolls? That is actually true. They would write on scrolls up until about a century after Jesus was alive. But then after that, in about the 3rd century, second, late 2nd century, you know what they actually started writing in? Kind of cool. They actually started writing in books about that time. And they would have this written in something like this. And they would copy, the scribes would, the New Testament or the Old Testament. And they would sit there and copy. And then, then you would have a manuscript. But if some two manuscripts disagree, like, then you would have a variant. So let me explain it like this. Um, let's say that as a church we're going to write... Uh, um, I hope you're doing fine today. So everybody in here gets a piece of paper out. I'll pass all this out. We're all going to take a pen and we're going to write on this piece of paper, you're doing fine today. But one of you, probably Mr. Donnie, I mean uh, Mr. David, probably is going to be the one because he can't write you know, with his shoulder. He's going to write, you're doing crime today. Not fine. I hope you're doing fine today. F-I-N-E. He's going to say, I hope you're doing crime today. C-R-I-M-E. So then what would we have? We would have a lot of right ones, but in all of those we would have one variant, meaning that they differ. Does that make sense? Is that kind of, do you understand where we're going with this? Okay, and so how many differences do we have in our New Testament? How many differences? We have over 400,000 variants in our New Testament. So in, in all the, everything that we have, we have over 400,000 variants, meaning two manuscripts disagree. How many words do we have in our New Testament? About 140,000. About 140,000. Exact number? 138,162. 138,162. You say, Drake, how do you know that? Nerds! <laughs> Big nerds. And I studied from them. And <laughs> 138,162 words in our Greek New Testament. If you're running the numbers on that, that's about 2.5 variants per word. And Bart Ehrman says this on 
every interview all that I've ever seen, and he says the same thing. There are more variants than there are words in the New Testament. How can anybody believe the Bible? And so why is that? Why is that? Why do we have so many variants, and should that scare us? Does that scare you? Let me ask you this. Does this scare some of you? Does that, doesn't that sound scary? I mean, it sounds kind of scary to me. Um, that's a lot of differences. Here's why we have so many variants. Because we have so many manuscripts, right? Okay, so if, if, if only me and Kat, let's say that I wrote something down and that Kat copied it. We have two copies, and maybe she'd get something wrong, maybe not. But if she did, we have one, two variants. But now let's say like me, Kat, Miss Amy, and Linda Kay, we all wrote something down. And so she may have one or two, Miss Amy may have one or two, and Miss Linda Kay may have one or two. But let's say that me, the Peppers, the, the Kinches, and everybody in here all wrote something down. Then we'd have like a lot more differences, a lot more variants if we was to, let's say, like copy the Gospel of Matthew, right? We'd have a, a lot more. So the more variants you have... Most of the time, and the more manuscripts you have, the more variants you're going to have. How many manuscripts do we have in the New Testament? In the Greek, we have over 5,800. Well, that was in February. I looked it up now, and it's over 6,000. It's over 6,000, 6,000 Greek manuscripts. But right after that, you know, when the when the um, capital moved from Constantinople to Istanbul, and when it moved there, the lingua franca, the language of the day, what did it become? It wasn't Greek anymore. What was it? It was, it starts with L. Latin, very good, very good. Bonjour, no, I'm just kidding, I don't even know, I think that's French or something. <laughs> yes, it was Latin. And so of the Latin, how many Latin manuscripts do you have? You have over 10,000, 10,000 Latin manuscripts. But not only that, you have a lot of manuscripts that was written in different languages, such as Hebrew, Coptic, Syriac, Egyptian, Gothic, all these other different languages that you would have the Bible written into. And you had over 10,000 written in different languages. So in all, you have over 26,000 manuscripts of our Bible. 26,000 manuscripts of our Bible. And so you say, Drake, can you help me? Like, can I compare that to something? Can you give me something co to compare that to? Yes, I can. All right, I'll help you. Take three historians from old that we get all of our information on Rome from. His name, their names are Livy, Tacitus, and Suetonius. All right, Livy, Tacitus, and Suetonius. How many manuscripts do we have from Livy? We have three. We have three manuscripts today of the historian Livy, which we base all of our knowledge of ancient Rome and Greek. But Tacitus, how many do we have of Tacitus? 27. 27. 27. Suetonius, how many do we have? We have over 300, so that's, that's a good bit. We have over 300. And so all of them combined, we have about 350, about 350 manuscripts, which we base all of what we know of ancient Rome and Greece on. Now you take the Bible and all of its manuscripts, 26,000. 26,000. Get this. This is about to blow your mind. Alright? If we was to take all the manuscripts that we have from, from ancient historians writing about Greece or Rome, Greece or Rome, all of them, stack them together, how tall would they be? Uh, this is kind of heavier than I thought. 
or I'm weaker than I thought. One or the other, probably both. Okay, it'll be about this high. It'll be about the height of this podium. Height of this podium. If you was to take all the manuscripts that we have in the New Testament, just in the New Testament, not even the Old Testament, just the New Testament, it would be the height of the Empire State Building. Okay, I see what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to um, go to Jackson Airport. Go, probably you want to fly Delta. You may fly first class. I don't know. You need to go and see the Empire State Building. That's what you need to do. And you just go there. You take this desk. You can probably get this through um, the airport. And you just take this, sit that right beside the Empire State Building, and you just look up and you say, oh, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But that's not it. That's not even all. It would be the Empire State Building stacked on top of itself, stacked on top of itself, stacked on top of itself, and then half of another Empire State Building. If you stack the Empire State Building on top of itself four times and then another half, that's how tall our manuscripts would be. That's called bunches. Bunches of manuscripts. Okay, bunches of manuscripts. And so when you see that, you say, maybe I can a little bit understand how we have 400,000 variants when you say you have a ton and ton of manuscripts. And so what else do we have to say about all of this? Well, we talked a little bit about quantity. What, by the way, what's the age? What's the average age of a manuscript? Uh, you have one all the way up until about 90. You, we have some from about 90 to 120. That's our earliest ones. And that's our earliest ones. And they go all the way to about the 14th century. They go all the way to about 14th century. So about a span of probably 1,100, 1,200 years. That's when our manuscripts, that's where we get them from, okay? And by the way, our two oldest manuscripts is Codex 62 and Codex uh, Vaticanus. Of those two, guess, um, guess how many times they differentiate. So our two oldest manuscripts that we have from about 150 A.D., they disagree six to eight times per chapter. Six to eight times per chapter. That's 2,000 times in the entire New Testament that they disagree. 2,000 times, okay? And so they do disagree with things, but we'll talk about how do they disagree and what are they disagreeing about in just one second. Let me say this. Where are manuscripts found? I'm about to be done. Where are manuscripts found? They are found, on, like how many do we have? They are only found, guess where they are found? In dry, dry, dry climates. Mainly in three places. Egypt, Egypt, the base of the Dead Sea, and then the base of Mount Vesuvius. That's the only places that manuscripts are still found. Why? Because they are very, very dry climate there. And they can last and they can weather. So, let's review. How many manuscripts do we have in technical terms? Bunches, yes. We have bunches, right? That approximately about 26,000 manuscripts that we have. All other manuscripts, talking about Rome, Greece, like four foot tall. Four foot, well, four foot tall, you know. All right. But let's talk about the kind, the kind of variants that we deal with. 400,000, what kind are they? All right, here we go. Six, no, 70% of all variants, so all of the 400,000, 70% of them are spelling what? Do you know this? Spelling what? 
Who said differences? I love you. Who said differences? I heard somebody say it. Anybody? I don't know. Um, Mr. Will's like, yeah. Yeah, differences. Spelling errors? No, spelling differences. So I'll give you an example of this, okay? Um, if I was going to say, uh, I'm in a car, I would say I'm in a car. I would use the word a. But if I was going to say I'm in a ice cream car, what would I say? Would I say I'm in a ice cream car or I'm in an ice cream car? I would add an N, right? It's called a movable N in, in English. A movable N, meaning you have it sometimes, sometimes you don't. Well, in Greek, you have the exact same thing. It's called a movable new. So I'll give you an example of this. N is new in Greek. So in John, you can spell John in Greek, J-O-H-N, or you can spell it J-O-H-N-N. Both ways to spell correctly. Both ways to spell correctly. It's just a matter of preference in the author. Uh, I was reading a book the other day, and the author was from England, and he wrote Mom, M-U-M, and it really made me mad. Mum. I was like, no, it's Mom, M-O-M. Who was right? Both. Spelling differences, right? 70% of the 400,000 are spelling differences. Does Bart Ehrman ever tell you this in an interview? No, 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 no. He never does. He never does. 29%, 29% falls into the second category, which is word order. Word order. Okay, so in Greek, you don't have word order. There is no word order. You kind of just like... Taught like, I guess, Yoda. You just say anything, just whatever comes out. So if I was going to speak to you today, I may, something, I may say something like, um, doing church are you how? You'd be like, what? That would be me saying, how are you doing church? But if we were Greek, we would all know what we got. So how do you tell anything in word order in Greek? You take the end of the word, and it tells you what it goes with. So like you take the end of the word, and ah, this goes with the noun, this goes with the verb, this goes with the preposition, and that's how you tell in Greek. And we have it in English, but you just are so second-hand to it, you don't notice it. For example, if you were late to church today, and you were driving here, you may have said, I was, I was, I was, I was late at church and I was fastly driving, or I was driving fastly. And that L-Y at the end of fast lets you know what? That it's an adverb and it just adds to the verb. So I'm driving, that's the verb, driving. How am I driving? Fast, fastly. It lets you know where it goes. So I'm driving fast, driving fastly. I had to drive fastly to church, right? Okay, very good, very good, very good. So let me give you this example. You can take a simple phrase like Jesus loves Paul. Jesus loves Paul. And in Greek, you could say, Jesus loves Paul. Paul, the Jesus loves. Jesus loves the Paul. Loves Jesus, Paul. Loves Paul, Jesus. And then you could throw the definite article in there, which is the. And you could say, the Paul, Jesus loves. The Paul, Jesus loves. Jesus, the Paul, loves. All kind of different ways that you could say that. Over 500 ways that you could say the simple sentence like, Jesus loves Paul in Greek, and it would be correct, and it would always translate, Jesus loves Paul. And so when you look at that, you may start to think, 400,000, it's really just a drop in the bucket. If you can take a simple sentence and say it 500 different ways, it always gets the same translation. So 70% is spelling differences, 29%, 29% is word order. That means 1% is left. 
1% is left. Let me talk about the third category. The third category is called meaningful but not viable. Meaningful but not viable. Let me give you an example. Do y'all remember that when we were talking about Mr. David and his writing problems? And I, and I said, everybody else wrote, I hope you're doing fine today. But Mr. David wrote, I hope you're doing crime today. Right? So everybody wrote the same thing. We all are the same thing. I hope you're doing fine today. But Mr. David may have wrote, I hope you're doing crime today. His would be meaningful because it was different. It was different. It's meaningful. It's different. But it's not viable, meaning that's not what the original was supposed to write. We have however many people said the exact same thing except one. I'll give you one example from the Bible. It's in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, and it's Paul writing, and he says, We became gentle among you. We became gentle among you. But in one translation, in about the 14th century, instead of saying, by the way, this is, um, we became gentle among you, it's agathein napioi. Agathein napioi. That's what it is in the Greek. Agathein napioi. Well, in about the 14th century, they put agathein, and they put, instead of napioi, they put hippioi, which is a horse. So they put, we became like horses among you. And, and it's like, oh, that's not right. He was just probably asleep or something when he's writing. So it's meaningful. It is different, but it's not, it's not right. There's everybody, everybody else says something totally opposite. They're all on page. This dude just wasn't in it that day. Get this. Four-fifths of 1% is that. It's meaningful, but not viable. four this of 1% is that. So 99.80, you don't have to worry about. It's either spelling differences, it's either word order, or it's meaningful but not viable, meaning that it is a difference, but nobody thinks that that's what it is because everybody else said the exact same thing. You just, like, you just wasn't on it that day. One fifth of one percent is meaningful and viable one fifth of one percent is meaningful and viable let me say that one more time one fifth of one percent i know you a lot of you may have heard this before but i say it to say maybe it'll get you rethinking again how we can have faith in this book let me give you an example of one that is meaningful and viable um um, okay, here's a good example. Have you ever read The Mark of the Beast and how they always say, what's the number of The Mark of the Beast? Does anybody know? Let those with wisdom and understanding know and understand that The Mark of the Beast will be the number of man, 666. Six, six. And that's always what it thought it was until about two, maybe years ago, they came and they found an old... Uh, manuscript and they said oh this says they dusted it off and read it this says 616 was the mark of the beast so it's like which one is it but they kind of dismissed it until about four months later they were digging and daniel wallace who is the critical uh, textual critic of in, like in the world he's a, he's a genius he was uncovering he's the one that taught me and 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 wrote books and everything He's like undigging and he looks at this and he says, you know what this is? 
this is a manuscript of Revelation, and guess what it says the mark of the beast is? It's the oldest manuscript that we have. Is it 666 or 616? It actually says 616. And so which one is it? You know, dun, dun, dun. I was like, oh, no. Uh, all these years of, 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 of scary movies gone. You know, all this rock albums covers gone. Right? And what is it? Is it 666? Is it 616? I, I don't know. What is it? And when you read in your Bible, what you'll probably have, you'll probably have, it will probably say, um, probably say the number of man, 666, and have a little asterisk by it. And then right under that, it'll say the earliest manuscripts have 616. That's probably what it will say in your Bible. So what is it? I don't know. I don't know. I really, I can't, I can't tell you. But here's this. What percent of orthodoxy, meaning truth about Christ, what amount of orthodoxy is contingent on passages that are meaningful and viable? Zero. Zero. Zero percent of our orthodoxy is based on passages that are meaningful and viable. Like, did Jesus really live? Did he really die? Did he really rise again? Zero. And get this. Bart Ehrman says that. He says that. Guess where it's found, though? It's found in the appendices of his book. And it says 0%, or he doesn't say 0%, he says none. None of Orthodox Christian beliefs are based on any variance in the Bible. But does he say that in any interviews? No. Why? Because that doesn't sell books. And I don't think that's a very nice thing. I think that hurts people. Intentionally, he's hurting people because people have told him this before. My teachers, I've told him, like the people that taught me, like Rob Stewart's the one I'm thinking about, Bob Stewart, I guess. Like, hey, man, what's up with this? Called him out, and he just, but I, I tell you all this to say, you can have the utmost confidence that you are reading what the disciples, what Peter wrote, what Paul wrote, and through the years, as they have been translated, they have been translated so amazingly, so amazingly. And to the one-fifth of one percent, that's kind of like, eh, not one single passage, not one single passage that is based on our belief is up for question. Does that, does that, does that bring, like, confidence to y'all, maybe a little bit still in your faith? I don't know. I know I just wanted to revisit this. But the reason, let me re- go back to this, the reason that this is my favorite, my favorite, my favorite sermon to give, why is it? Because Drake Nelson, Drake Nelson cannot teach you what you need to know. I can do my best. The only way you will get to where you need to be in your relationship with God is through your understanding of this word. It's through your understanding in, in this word. And if you do not have a steel backbone that I can trust this, then your faith will crumble and it will waver, especially if someone comes against you, maybe tries to attack you, or the devil plants seeds of doubt into your mind. And I wanted to do everything that I could to let you know this morning and one Wednesday night this year that, hey, you can trust what's in this book because God has preserved it throughout all the centuries. But why did he do that? He has preservation so that you can have a revelation of who he is and all that he has done for you. So take your time this week. Open up this book and read it. And I'll guarantee you this. Just take my word for it. If you don't trust me, just do it anyways. I, I don't know. Just test me. It will change your life. It will change your life. Can I get a witness? It will change and revolutionize everything about you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. 
And I hope this has given you a little bit of steel, a little bit of faith. Let's pray.